There are a lot of theories about why this world works the way it does and how it works the way it does. But one of those theories we're going to talk about today, the simulation theory. What is it? How does it work? And do we think that it's a possibility? On the surface, it sounds completely fictional. There's no way that we could be living in a simulation, right? That's just the thing. We don't even know what reality is. We have no way to measure or grasp any kind of real time and space. We live in a different dimension, so to speak, than reality. We can't interact with reality. Okay, so we know the simulation theory is essentially theorizing that we are living in a reality that was created virtually. Believe it or not, a lot of this theory is rooted in philosophy, in the way that we understand the world around us. Think of the technology that you have right now. Everything around you. It's insane how quickly we've gotten to the point that we have. Within 10, 20 years, we've created virtual reality. And I know we've become so comfortable with that idea that we let it go past but that's a big deal. We have these magic glasses that we put on our face and we can play games through them. Now they've created haptic suits where not only do you not need a controller, but you can feel different sensations while interacting with that world. Even Elon Musk has said that eventually we will have so much computing power that video games will be indistinguishable from reality. We will be able to become so engrossed in these video games that we won't be able to determine what is real. Now the question lies, are we the first generation to do that? How special do we think that we are? One of the arguments against this is why would that simulation be created? And that we would have to have a lesser world because the worlds above us would not be able to create their level of reality. They would just be able to create a step down from their reality. So for instance, the reality above us would have to have more computing power than what is required in our world to be able to run the current simulation. One of the things I think is awfully interesting is what we do with video games now. We recreate times and environments and simply play them for fun. We have sims where we literally just make them do things. We'll trap them in a pool just to watch them struggle. Like, that's what we do virtually. And to some degree, it does make sense that a society would create this kind of society and this kind of reality. Simply for fun. Okay, fun. That can't be the only reason we're in the simulation, right? There are a lot of theories as to why the simulation would be ran. There are certain scientists that think it might be to test certain things about the universe. Some people think that we are solely a test society. And does that mean that humans are simulated as well? 
Not exactly. The CIA has already proved that humans have two bodies in them. They have the physical body and the soul. To be able to create a soul would take so much computing power and so much advanced technology that the simulation that we're living in now is like when we play nomad games. We are the cavemen of the simulation if this is all true. But the most likely thing would be that they would be doing this simulation to understand consciousness. We've talked about how it would work, but how possible is it? Now, this is all a matter of personal opinion. Everybody has their theories about how the world works. But if you believe in the multiverse theory, it cancels this one out. If the world is simulated, that means space and time only continues laterally. Which means the multiverse theory simply wouldn't work. So what are we living in? A simulated reality? Multiple universes? A typical reality just as we're handed it? Are we looking where there is nothing to find? You'll have to figure out what you believe. The mysteries of reality are one thing, but the mysteries of each other are another. Today's episode is part one of a two-part series. There is too much information to talk about it all in one episode, so we're going to split it up a little bit. Today, we're going to talk about what happened. Next week, we'll go into why it happened. First thing to talk about is who were the Sodders? You have George and Jenny, who were the mom and the dad. Then you have their 10 kids, the oldest of which was off in the army. So nine out of the 10 kids were home that night. We're starting on Christmas day in Fayetteville, West Virginia in 1945. George and Jenny decide to go upstairs and lay down for the night. They tell the boys, do your usual thing, lock up the house, and you guys can hang out here for the night. But when Jenny was awoken by a phone call at 12.30 in the morning by a woman asking for somebody who Jenny had no idea about, Jenny hung up and went downstairs to check on the boys, which is when she found out that They did not, in fact, lock up. So she did. She went over to the door and locked up and went back to bed for the night. But later in the night, she woke up again. There was a loud crash. And then there was this rolling sound on the roof. But she simply shook it off and went back to sleep. That was for an hour until she woke up for the third time to notice her house engulfed in flames. She didn't have time to worry about what was going on. She just had to save as many kids as she could and get out of the house. So that's what she did. She ran to the stairs, called down to the boys, tried to get everybody out. Sadly, not everybody would come out, though. Four of their children were able to make it outside of the house with them. They immediately ran to the neighbors to call the fire department 
but got no response. This led another neighbor in search of the fire chief himself, as this is a very small town and you could do things like that. In the meantime, George Sauter ran to the side of the house where he usually keeps his ladder, but it wasn't there. He didn't have time to worry about where it was, though. He got this bright idea that he's going to bring his truck to the side of the house and then climb on top of it to be able to get into the house to the rest of the kids so he could get them out. But neither his nor son's truck would start that night. Nothing was working. There was no way for George to save these children. And it wasn't until 7 a.m. when the fire department finally came through. By the time they put out the blaze, there wasn't much left of the house. And this is where we're going to pause it for today. I know, it's a short story. But it's because next week we're going to get into all of those questions like... Why wasn't the truck starting? Why couldn't they just call the fire department? They could have used their own phone in their house, right? Why was it when they went to the neighbors, they still weren't able to get in contact with them? Why did it take the fire chief so long to be able to come? Was there anybody that had it out for George or his family? These are questions that we will attempt to find answers to next week. Yeah, 1945 was a long time ago, but justice has no time limit. We need to look out for the Sodder children and maybe figure out what's going on. We've done it. We've made it to episode eight. How proud are you guys of us? I'm pretty happy about this. I wouldn't be able to do this without you guys listening, so I appreciate everybody. And I know I keep saying I have something special planned, but I do, and I keep thinking that it's going to be the next episode, and it keeps falling through. But don't worry, I do have things in the works, okay? We're going to make sure that this is such a fun time for us. Like I said before, I appreciate everybody here, and I hope you guys have a wonderful day. See you later. For more confusing details about life and reality within, check me out on the next episode of Be safe out there.